Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 223 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Mark. How you doing? Uh, the most well-rested I've been in quite a long time. So um, is, uh, is baby McEvely, Miss Mia, is she sleeping now better? She is. She slept eight hours last night through the night, which was phenomenal. Parents feel reinvigorated, I bet. Insane. And she only, so she got up at like, it was like 5.15 or 5.30 to eat. She only ate for like 10 minutes and then fell right back asleep. And my wife texted me and it was 9.05 and she was still sleeping. So uh, yeah, it's, we're turning the corner at the McEvely household, which is great. Love to hear this. Yeah. So, Love to hear this. Yeah. So everyone, everyone is happy. Yes. Um, as always, we will quickly review the month to date and year-to-date performance of the major market indices that we track. This data is from YCharts and as of October 16th. S&P 500 index up 2% for the month and up 13.9% for the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 1.4% for the month and up 2.5% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index up 2.6% for the month and up 29.6% for the year. The Russell 2000 Small Cap Index down 2.1% for the month and down 0.8% for the year. And the Vanguard All World X United States ETF up 0.1% for the month and up 3.6% for the year. Three month Treasury rate at 5.61%, the two year Treasury rate at 5.09%, the 10 year Treasury rate at 4.71%. Uh, Moving on to big headlines and current events, Matt, really the only thing I had was earnings season kicked off uh, last Friday with a lot of the major banks reporting. Um, Started off quite mixed for the market. Um, You had names like JP Morgan, Bank of America, uh, United Healthcare, BlackRock, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, and PNC all reporting earnings uh, last Friday morning, the 13th. Spooky in October. Yes. Uh, JP Morgan and UNH were the strongest out of the group. Uh, The other results were uh, slightly negative to mixed, I would say. Um, But we have another uh, slew of earnings coming this week. And then over really the next two weeks are when most of the names, the heavy hitters, I would say, are going to start reporting. Absolutely. And um, other observation I want to throw out there, this is going to be kind of my, my moment, my teachable moments is when you were going over the returns for year to date, the first index you quoted was the S&P 500. And if someone um, went to bed on January 1st and hibernated and just woke up and they saw, oh, S&P's up 13.9% year to date. Wow, this has been an easy year. Right. It's like we got to remember that there's been a lot of tough points to hold stocks up until this point to enjoy a 13.9% rate of return for that index. Right. And this is just one of those teachable moments that there's going to be dark days. And there were some dark days, you know, recently. Guess what, people? There's going to be a lot more in the future. But this is at some at certain times, you got to have strong hands to hold through those times and follow your plan. Yeah. One of my teachable moments. Sometimes I almost wish that we were, you know, back 
20, 25 years ago where it wasn't as easy to, you know, access things online and look at things every single day because I think that messes with people's psyche rather than, oh, yeah. Good point. you know, just checking once or twice yeah. per year and saying, oh, you know, we're halfway through the year and S&P's up, you know, 12% or whatever it was. And, oh, now it's October and the S&P's up 13%. And then they can just go on with their life, right? I mean, yeah, even in the office, you had like two offices and the wall in between you would have a computer and the terminal, people would share it. You would you turn the computer around and one person would be able to access it. And then when they you know weren't using it, you can turn it around. The other people could use it. Yeah. That's how hard it was to access information yeah. back in the late 90s. Yeah. And there's certain, you know, there's certain investment options out there and funds that, you know, you put your money into the fund and you're agreeing that it's gonna be locked up for two years or five years or whatever. Yes, and good point. There's pros and cons to that, but for this conversation, the pro of that is you literally can't take your money out. So you're yep. forced to stay invested that whole time, which yep. in my opinion, especially over a five-year time period, tends to be a, a pretty good thing. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you needed that money for something and you needed liquidity, that's a whole nother Story. issue we yep. won't get into, but it forces you to stick with your game plan, which is a good Teachable thing. moments, so. an independent advisor's podcast. First thing I have, Matt, was uh, a chart that was created by yours truly, actually, um, in StockCharts.com, showing the performance difference between dirty energy and clean energy. So this is going to be interesting. So the ticker symbols used were XLE, which is just the Spider Energy Select ETF, uh, versus a clean energy ETF, uh, which is an iShares Global Clean Energy ETF, ticker symbol ICLN. And this goes back... It looks a couple, well, a few, right? Three is a few, right? So I think uh, three years yeah. uh, going back to um, prior to 2021 by a couple of months, and it shows the performance of dirty energy versus clean energy. Can't wait for this. And it's really interesting because dirty energy is almost outperforming clean energy by almost 400% over the past three-ish years. Now, my statement here is not going to be political, but it is in the respect of what the administration is pushing in their agenda. And it's interesting how you have a current administration that is literally pushing mm -hmm. this agenda, but the opposite is outperforming it dramatically. Yeah, that was going to be one of my points is that, you know, obviously, so that the, our our current president and our past president, it's a really good example of this because President Trump was all about, you know, dirty energy, uh, oil, coal, all that stuff, right? And then President Biden is all about, hey, we need to go green, we need to reduce fossil fuels and all that. And the clean energy stocks performed really well when Trump, Trump was, was in, in office, office, and now the dirty energy stocks are performing really well when Biden is in office. And I think this is a perfect example of how forward looking the market is. Like I know we're, we're obviously not to the point where the world wants to be in the realm of clean energy, but looking back on this, I'm like, oh, the market already priced that in and maybe it got a little ahead of itself and it's coming back down to reality to what the value really should be in terms of these stocks that are publicly traded. I love this podcast. So um, yeah, I thought that that was interesting. I heard it somewhere else and I was like, man, I got to pull this up for myself. And I was like, oh my gosh, great this piece, is uh, Mark. crazy. So John, we'll great throw piece. that up for, for everybody there. Great piece. Um, 
Second thing I had was from a blog post from Adam Turnquist, who we've mentioned on this uh, podcast before. He, I believe, took over Ryan Dietrich's role at LPL when Ryan went to Carson Group. Um, so this was titled Bull Market Checkup, and this was back on October 13th. Okay. Uh, he says that the average one-year return off of bear market lows going back to 1957 is 39.6%. And the first year of this current bull market that we're in, the S&P 500 is up just 21% from the bear market low. Okay. Um, so looking back, historically, weak start to a new bull market. Second thing that he has in there is a chart just outlining how the second year of a bull market tends to be pretty strong. So uh, Jenna will throw this up for YouTube, video, or YouTube uh, viewers. Uh, it's going to show a chart all the way on the left is going to be the bear market low, the date of that. Mm -hmm. The next column is going to be the first year return of the bull market. And then the second column all the way to the right is going to be the year two returns for uh, year two of a bull market. This is a phenomenal way to, to illustrate it, in my opinion. He did a good job here. So the average return uh, in the second year of a bull market is just over 13%. But the interesting part, Matt, was you were just talking about, hey, if someone went to bed on January 1st and woke mm -hmm. up in October, market's yep. up 13%. Yep. This is interesting because the average drawdown from peak to trough from the market's high point to the low point at any time throughout the year in year two of a bull market, the average drawdown is over 16%. Ooh, that's kind of tough to sit through. So you have to live with pulling back on average 16% to achieve that average 13% rate of return. Listeners, viewers, listen basis. up here. So um, and a, a good example of this, Matt, was not that long ago in 2018. Um, you know, the second year of a bull market. So 2019 markets were up 15% but you had to live through an almost 34% drawdown to get that 13%. Yep. So, or 15%. So, yep. um, case in point, just throwing it out there that next year could be a good year, could not be, but as you'll see these drawdowns, you're going to have to deal with some market volatility and with it being an election year next yep. year, I think this is something that should be expected. Well, I'll throw it out there in this data set, which is about a baker's dozen, uh, 82 was the lowest 12-month return thereafter, which was at a positive 2%. And that was during, and I will say it properly, that was during hyperinflation. Right. Right. So uh, just some food for thought to people uh, to think over Great going chart. into uh, an election year next year. Um, last thing I had, Matt, was a tweet from Dan Russo on October 7th. And he says, serious question, if the July 27th candle on the S&P 500 chart turned you bearish or put you on a warning for a bear shift, did today turn you bullish or put you on warning for a bullish shift? Well played. So uh, what well this played, Dan. chart shows is uh, a couple months of uh, price action for the S&P 500. It'll be up on the, the page right now for those who are watching. But he points out a bearish engulfing candlestick, Matt, and yes. a bullish engulfing candlestick. And I want to delineate what those are. I think okay? this is a good learning, teachable moment. So the first arrow he shows, it's, it's something that's called a bearish engulfing candlestick. And, and we tend to see this at reversal points in the market. It could be short term, intermediate term, or long term. Yes. Okay. 
So a bearish engulfing candle is when uh, a candlestick uh, on a stock chart is engulfing or has a wider day's range than the previous day. Yes. So for example, just using round numbers, stock XYZ yesterday traded in a range between four and five dollars per share. Mm -hmm. And today that same stock trades in a range of three to seven dollars per share. Today's price action engulfed yesterday's price action. So that candle is bigger, right? Yes. And when the candle finishes down, that's what we call a bearish engulfing candle and tends to signal reversal points in the market. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, the second arrow Dan's point, pointing to is a bullish uh, engulfing candlestick that we just got sometime over the past couple of weeks. And it's just the exact opposite. So uh, XYZ stock trades between 4 and $5 a share yesterday. Today it trades between 3 and $7 per share. But we finish positive on the day, that's a bullish engulfing candle, okay? Yes. And that tends to signal reversal points to the upside. So um, Dan was just pointing out that, you know, everyone in their mother, at least in the technical analysis world, was pointing out this bearish engulfing candle back in late July when that actually did start the downtrend that we've been in for a couple of months. On the other side, we've gotten a bullish uh, engulfing candle that potentially could be the start of a new uptrend in the market. Love how you highlighted this. Good piece from Dan. It's going to be interesting here when I go because I got four things I'm going to discuss. Two of the four have dramatic overlap to what you picked. All right, let's hear it. Here we go. Jenna probably looked at our show notes together and probably just had a good laugh. <laughs> All right, here we go. First thing, raw stats for the S&P 500 return in year two of a bull market. Okay. Listeners and viewers, you can't make this up. So uh, this is from Ryan Dietrich on October 12th, okay? Uh, Jenna will put up this uh, chart for our YouTube viewers. As Mark mentioned in his segment, this will be in our show notes. And surprise, surprise, the average return in year two of a new bull market is a little bit over 13%, right. which was, which was going to be what I was going to discuss and highlight. Glad I took care of that for you. So um, I don't think there's much more to uh, talk about on that topic. I don't think so. All right. Number it's a good looking chart, but <laughs> besides the point. Number two, um, a JP Morgan note caught my eye. Okay. And I'm going to verbalize this and then I want to give some explanation to our listeners and viewers, Mark, and then I want to um, see if you want to add anything to it. So uh, this note is from October 9th, again from JP Morgan, and I'm going to read the quote exactly. Quote, another outcome is that yields move higher subject to Thursday CPI print. If so, that's not a negative perk up. Positive GDP growth with increasing real yields typically expands the S&P 500 price to earnings ratio and not contracts it, period, end quote. Yeah. So let's just break that down really quick for Please. people that might not be familiar with some of that verbiage. So another outcome is that yields move higher, interest rates, interest rates, subject to Thursday's CPI print, which is the consumer price inflation report, which is the monthly consumer report, price index, which is the monthly report from the government with their survey of what inflation is year over year. Yep. And that that report, along with other inflationary reports, heavily influences which way interest rates move. Right. Correct, so if inflation is really, really high, the Fed might be apt to raise interest rates to combat that inflation 
slow things down a little bit, prevent the economy from overheating. Correct. Okay. Uh, next thing they say is positive GDP, so gross domestic product, growth uh, with increasing real yields or interest rates expands the S&P 500 price to earnings ratio and not contracts it. Can you just give a little bit more on that? Yep. So this works perfectly into my talking point. So my talking point is, you know, why am I highlighting this? Most investors think that higher yields, rising interest rates automatically means that stocks are going to go down or it's a bad investment environment. Okay. So we've talked about this NYU study on previous podcast. Okay. And we're going to break down four primary environments that people tend to get confused with rising interest rates environment, falling interest rate environment, rising inflation, falling inflation. The perception by the average investor is if interest rates are going up or inflation's going up, oh, that, that has to be bad for stocks. And of those four scenarios, when you look at history, only one of the four tends to be bad for stocks. Guess what? It's not rising interest rates. It's just rising inflation rates. And so I want to try to get rid of this misperception because it's not correct. Mm -hmm. It's not the fact that interest rates are moving higher. Think of the late 90s. The economy was doing great. Interest rates were moving higher. It expanded the multiple or the price people were willing to pay for stocks. But it didn't accompany inflation. So the main thing I'm trying to disseminate here is Focus on the inflation numbers, less on, oh, the Fed just raised interest rates again, on how that's going to impact the stock market. Good way of saying it? Yeah, for sure. And we're you know in a period right now where inflation is coming down. It's not to say that inflation can't turn back up again. I think that yeah. happened in the 70s. I think sure. you know uh, the Fed called victory too soon because they saw inflation come back down to their 2% target. And then literally right after that, inflation was like, nope, it was a head fake, just just messing around. Yeah. So that could happen again. I'm just throwing that out there. But for the time being, um, it seems like most of the inflationary period that we experienced last year mm -hmm. is coming to a close with the caveat that that could change at any point in time. And it wouldn't surprise me at some point, especially with all the geopolitical uh, events going on right now, especially if energy and oil uh, keeps moving higher in price, then you could see inflation begin to pick back up again. So that's not out of the realm of possibilities. Yeah, I mean, good, good point. It was funny. I, um, my wife and I had date night last night. We were driving past a gas station. Rachel's like, check out the price of gas. It's been coming down over the past week. I would have expected in the face of geopolitical headlines, what? For it to go, go up. up. Yeah. All right. My third piece is uh, something called Commodity Trading Advisors, CTAs, it is a subsection of hedge funds. Um, it's a contrarian indicator for me. Uh, Jay Capel uh, had this tweet on October 10th. Jenna will put up this chart for our YouTube viewers. This will be in our show notes. It's showing, in essence, the positioning of these types of hedge funds, this subsector of hedge funds. And when they get really, really bearish, when they start shorting stocks, making, in essence, investment bets on stocks are going to continue to go lower. And when those bets get really, really heavy compared to history, tends to be a contrarian indicator for me. Their timing tends to be 
poor on this metric. So what you're gonna see on this chart going back to 2015 is every time this type of hedge fund got really, really pessimistic on stocks, guess what happened, Mark? Tend to be a turning point on the market. And so I'm just pointing out that I'm not saying the data set's gonna continue to work perfectly, it's a data point, mm -hmm. but it's telling me that pessimism in the market, at least recently, has been pretty extreme. Throwing it out there in that respect. Yeah, and, and just to add a little more color to that, commodity uh, trading advisors are what we call uh, trend followers in nature. Mm -hmm. So they use prices, stock prices, or commodity prices above or below moving averages to be long or short. So for example, one of the strategies could be above the 50-day moving average, we're long stocks. Below the 50-day moving average, we're short stocks. Um, could be uh, a price breakout based on a certain number of days. If the S&P 500 is making a three-month high, we're buying stocks. If the S&P 500 is making a three-month low, we're selling stocks. Yes. And trend followers or commodity trading advisors tend to do poorly when there isn't a long-term defined trend, if Correct. that makes sense. So trend followers try to catch the middle meat of a trend. They don't try to call bottoms. They don't try to call tops. They're just trying to catch the main meat of that trend. Um, and with the recent weak price action in stocks, it doesn't surprise me that they're short right now because yeah. their systems are telling them, hey, you know, we're at two-month lows or three-month lows. We have to get short. But if that if this isn't the start of something larger in terms of a downtrend, well said. then they're gonna be on the wrong side of the trade. So well well said. Throw that in there. And then my last piece will correlate to a good extent of one of your pieces. This piece is from Peru Saxena, and he posted this on what date? October 9th, Mark. And uh, I'm just gonna read exactly what Peru wrote. Quote, two days in a row, the stock market has contended with bad news a hot jobs report on Friday, and a Middle East conflict on Monday. Both days, stocks have recovered after the initial sell-off. The stock market's refusal to decline on bad news is a good sign for the seasonal Q4 rally, end quote. So I'm interpreting this similar to your interpretation of that bullish engulfing candle that you were discussing, that when you see the market rally throughout the day on as what is traditionally interpreted by the market as bad news, if you're a bear, that should be really concerning for you. Mm -hmm. If you bear meaning you're someone who's pessimistic, underweight equities one way or another. Right. Anything you want to add? No, I think it's, you know, just another uh, example of the market is, is pretty funky if you really think about it. And even if you knew what the news headlines were gonna be <laughs> over the next one week, two week, one month, three month, 12 months, that Might doesn't not go the guarantee way you, you success in the stock market. Might because not go the way you what think. you would interpret as bad news or any average person interpret as bad, bad news could be really good news for the market because that had already been priced in, right? So it's, it's funny when you're, you know, when you're in this industry a lot of times you have to think backwards and when you're not in this industry and you've never had any experience with the stock market, you know, your head could be in a blender because you're like, this, this doesn't make any sense. And you're right. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but you kind of have to 
put your finance hat on and, and look at it through the lens of, you know, what the market has already priced in, which can be challenging. Yep. And well said, and just you know, kind of remember when those kind of major turning points, when the market, quote unquote, is not acting like it has been, you need to perk up one way or another. Yeah. And I think to see that on a Friday, then on a Monday, mm-hmm. got to perk up. Yeah, got to perk sure. up. Um, anything you would like to leave with before we invite uh, Taylor Ledbetter on for the financial planning topic of the week, Mark? No, I don't believe so. Uh, I will see everybody uh, next week for episode 224. All right, my friend. So next up is Taylor Ledbetter. Uh, she is a wealth advisor with our firm, Jessup Wealth Management. Uh, she uh, does and handles a lot of our financial planning uh, activities here at the practice for our client base. Welcome, Taylor. How are you today? Uh, I'm good. Two weeks in a row I've been two, on the podcast. Two weeks in a <laughs> row. I'm ready. Last week was great. What do you got this week? Yeah, so today I just want to talk about some of the changes to Social Security next year. Okay. Because I think some of these numbers came out within the last week, maybe two. So it's good You're going to hit me fresh on this. I have not seen this data <laughs> yet. This will be fun. Okay, yeah. So um, we'll start off with the cost of living adjustments and All the research I got was from an article I saw on Forbes. Okay. So this article starts off by saying social security benefits will increase 3.2% in 2024 for the nation's 71 million recipients. Okay. Raising the average monthly check for a single retired worker to $1,907 up 59 from 1827 this year. And for a retired couple, both receiving benefits, that will go up to about $3,033, up 94 from the current year. Got it. That's a small boost compared to the 8.7 COLA adjustment for 2023, which was the largest adjustment since 1981. That's yeah. I mean, this is I think this is welcome news. You know, maybe, you know, some of our listeners and viewers were hoping for a larger bump. But I think this kind of plays into what Mark and I were discussing a little bit earlier in the podcast that, you know, we are seeing the inflation data start to level off to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're not trying to portray that that's going to continue. That could reverse. We want to throw that out there. That's a possibility. But for the most part, we are starting to see more stabilization in these numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and this article also had a chart outlining all the COLA adjustments dating back to 1975. Okay. Um, and it's... 1981 was the biggest year. I mean, all the other years look like it's been around three, maybe four at most. So low single digits historically. Yeah, it's surprising that last year in 2022, or for this year, I guess, the 8.7% was the biggest adjustment since 1981. Because in 1981, it was actually even larger than that. You know, so one thing I think about too is, you know, if you're an individual who's not of social security age or that age range this is another point to think about taking that benefit early you're going to miss out on the compounding effect Mm -hmm. of these inflation hikes that you're going to get over your lifetime Mm -hmm. so for our younger viewers that are listening now who might be thinking oh i'm done with the podcast i'm good this doesn't (laughs) affect me Mm -hmm. you might want to perk up because there's a lesson to be learned in what you're saying here yeah no that's actually a really good point 
um, missing out on those COLA adjustments every single That's year. That's right. Because if you would have missed out on the 8.7 for this year, it's a pretty big... On well, that compounding yeah, effect. Exactly. Um, so the next change this article talks about is how much you can earn and still claim benefits. This will be good. Yeah, I think this isn't something that's talked about a whole bunch because if you're under full retirement age, which is age 66, if you were born between 1943 and 1954, so if you're under age 66, you work and you claim social security benefits, your benefits are actually reduced if you make over a certain amount of income. Yes. So every year they do update those income thresholds. So in 2024, you can earn up to 22,320. Okay. This year in 2023, the number was 21,240. Got it. So next year, if you make above that 22,320 number, um, you'll have a $1 reduction in social security benefits per $2 of earnings over any that dollar over number. that amount. Exactly. So a 50% reduction, basically. And this is important because you're seeing this firsthand boots on the ground just as much as I am. We are seeing more and more people retire and work part time, not for the money, mm -hmm. but for the social interaction and the physical exercise or activity that it brings. Yeah. We're seeing that more and more. I think we talked about this on our podcast, on yeah. the podcast last week. We're too. seeing it more and more. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, the rules do change a little bit if you're if you're reaching that full retirement age in the current year. So, say you turn, you know, 66 next year in 2024, okay. um, the limit you can make is about 59,520 um, without having benefits being impacted. Another important data point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the numbers, I would say, from this year to next year, those income thresholds changed a couple thousand roughly, so not yeah. a huge change. I think it's still very notable because a lot of people, you know, who, you know, retire in their mid-60s sometimes aren't aware of this, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I think it's very important for you to shed light to it and bring that forth, and I'm glad you did. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have a 50% reduction in your benefits, you might as well just wait, wait. to take them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, the last bigger change I kind of want to touch on is the Medicare Part B premiums. Ooh. So this article stated that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services announced monthly Medicare Part B premiums will rise in 2024 to $174.70, which is a $9.80 increase from this year. This year, the premiums were around 164. And my initial reaction is it's a lot more than quote unquote 3.2% rise in the Social Security. Yeah, I think it. I think the actual percentage is around five, 5.2, something like that. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. So, yeah, and it goes on to say in 2023, the Part B premium fell for the first time in more than a decade, huh. dropping from $170 to 164 this year. Okay. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and then the last change regarding the Medicare premiums is uh -huh. for the higher income surcharges. Yes. 
So in 2024, if your modified adjusted gross income exceeds $103,000 for a single filer, okay. or $206,000 for married filing joint, um, and that's up from $97,000 for single filers and $194,000 for couples. So basically, if you're over these income thresholds, there's an additional Medicare Part B surcharge. For In essence, premium. your you know that that Medicare uh, premium you're paying every month is going to be higher. They're going to ding you if your income is over those thresholds. Yeah, and it's a pretty big difference. Um, it, it goes on to say that those in this income threshold group, their total premiums will be about two hundred and forty-four dollars and sixty cents a month. And we have had clients who have been in these situations. Mm -hmm. And if you dig down, there are some exclusions to go back to Medicare and say, listen, I'm not going to be making as much this year, but they've limited what those exceptions are. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So it's not easy to qualify for it. So you mm -hmm. might be stuck for 12 months paying that higher premium until your income resets. Is that a good way of saying it, Taylor? Yeah, it is. And I mean, that's a... It's not a hundred dollar increase, but it's what, uh, it's a pretty good chunk. Yeah, it's a chunk. Yeah. <laughs> it's a chunk. And then you got that, you get, you know, if you have a spouse, you got to multiply that difference times two. That's true. Right. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, you know, we start talking, you know, thousands of dollars at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought that those three specifically were some of the, the bigger changes or the more notable I, I kind of wanted to touch on. Definitely what our, our audience I think would want to hear. Yeah, I think these three affect most people. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I don't want to cut you off. Any, anything else you want to add to that, Taylor? Nope. Those are my three main topics. All right. Anything else outside of the financial planning topic of the week you'd like to note? Um, no, I don't think so. Well, one thing I do want to note is our what we call our, our blueberry promotion. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, you can get your first month of blueberry podcasting hosting for free with the promo code Jessup Wealth, and that is all lowercase, no spaces, Jessup Wealth. Use the hosting estimator on their site to determine the best plan for you. And don't forget, that's Jessup Wealth, all lowercase, no spaces for your first month free. So um, last thing I got for our listeners and viewers is, you know, we got earnings season the next couple of weeks. I think, you know, outside of the focus of uh, geopolitics, which again, I always want to emphasize that, um, you know, we're talking about the finance side of it. I don't want to uh, minimize the horrible um, humanitarian impacts that these events are causing. Um, but obviously I think the focus is going to be, if it's not geopolitics, it's going to be earning season. Mm -hmm. And so if you start to see some kind of wild movements in a stock that you're not used to seeing, there's a good chance it's probably because they reported earnings and they're releasing some information to the market that it was not aware of. So just kind of note that. So thank you for listening to episode 223 of the Independent Advisors podcast. Myself, Taylor, Mark, and Jenna, we hope all of you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll see you next week. 
Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.